And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yosemite booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. All right, we're back. Entitled Town is here. Uh, we have full attendance uh, for this edition of Entitled Town. Um, a lot is on the agenda today. Uh, we'll start first with, uh, the, we're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs, the Tyreek Hill trade. Uh, Dan, uh, the Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill to Miami. Uh, they might, they promptly pay him $72 million guaranteed, uh, four years, $120 million. And on top of that, they ship to Kansas City a, a first and the second this year. The 29th pick overall is the first pick. Um, and then a fourth rounder, then two more late round picks in the 2023 draft. Uh, your impressions of that trade, it's, it's, I would, I think anyone would have to say the Chiefs got really good value in that deal. Yeah, I was particularly bummed about Hill, not because he went to the Dolphins, but because the Chiefs did the right thing. You know, they had some balloon payments looming on that cap, and they'd either lose Hill completely or have to pay him his ransom next year. But instead, they maximized the return on him. Uh, in, the, in the short run, they lose this dominant playmaker. But in the long run, this is something that's going to expand Patrick Mahomes' window. A good point, and I think I'd like to point out uh, Mike on Route One. Or is it Mike from Route One or Mike on Route One? I'm, I'm not really sure. I got <laughs> I a little confused on that. <laughs> Ask the Twitter geniuses. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know the Chiefs. The Chiefs they're going to promptly go out and sign Marquez Valdez Scantling and Juju Smith Schuster to uh, with at no cost them other than dollars and get that that mother load in return for Hill. Yeah, I don't. Um, you know, I. I, I Outside of, of quarterbacks, I always have a hard time, um, you know, paying somebody um, a significant portion of the cap. And it always kind of feels to me like once you're getting over 10% of the cap for, for one non-quarterback, it just seems like a, a, a kind of crazy thing to do, um, you know, and, and the numbers are, are pretty big in the next few years, you know, a $30 million cap hit. I'm sure they'll kick some of that money down the road. I know the, the cap isn't real, but um, yeah, it, it was like Dan said, it's the, it, it seemed like the, the smart move and it does. And it, unfortunately it, it felt like the right move, get something right. for a guy. You weren't going to get anything, you know, you're, you couldn't pay him given the number that Mahomes is going to be playing under going forward so yeah it, it would have been it would have been tough and it was you know and i always you know the the thing that people don't understand this time of season uh, this time of of the uh nfl calendar is that kind of value that guys like that have and there he's a good really good you know game-changing receiver but are you going to do you want to tie up that kind of resources in one player given um what the league is and, and where the where the value you get your most value from the quarterback position it just seems stupid it's a any let's let's call it as it is he's a volatile guy he has some some really disturbing instances of, he's a shitbag scartelli but is he scartelli does he take the top off the defenses is is hill a true wr1 for his qb number one in miami he's definitely a one um I, my only concern is that can he learn the offense in miami uh, these things these things do happen you you'd be surprised you're just asking the question, Scartelli. John, what was your, what was your, what was your, uh, what'd you think of the, the Hill to the Dolphins trade? He's your problem yeah. now, caller, twice a year. 
Yeah. Um, well, when the, your cornerback room is full of CB4s, I mean, clearly there's, there's plenty to be afraid of, I guess. No, I think that this podcast is indicative of like, you know, birds of a feather, right? I see it the same way as, as you all have laid out. The Chiefs, you know, he's, a, he's a remarkably good player, no doubt about it. Um, the Chiefs are selling absolutely at apex value uh, on him. He's probably a couple, he's probably got a couple really good years left before he starts to taper off. And, you know, the, the Chiefs have built a Belichickian long-term window here uh, where if they can continue to draft well, they've got Mahomes set up to be, you know, to truly be a, a, a dynastic type cornerback and, and, you know, win multiple Super Bowls. So I don't like it from that perspective. I'm not that afraid of Tyreek Hill being in the same division as the Patriots. I don't care who's in the cornerback room for the Patriots. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the, anytime the media, like, you know, gets all giddy over this big weapon trade, you know, it, I think it's logical to go the, to go counter that thinking, right? That sort of goofy media group think, oh my God, look what the Dolphins did. I like what Dan said. No, it's, it's oh my God, look what the Chiefs did. It's a bit of the NBA thing creeping in. The this league vibe, that sort of thing uh, with these these shiny bauble trades that yep. they get clicks and they fill up uh, hours on NFL Network. I want to reference um, what you just said, John, about a, a cornerback room of CB4s. Uh, Scott Pioli, former Patriots general manager, knows a thing or two about team building. Uh, he was on the NFL Network, and I thought this, this clip is going to be very pertinent to, to what we're discussing on the pod today. From the New England perspective, what do you make of their offseason? <laughs> You're loving this. Yeah. Shaking his hand. You know, p player acquisition <clears throat> isn't a sprint. It's a marathon, just like this season. So last year, the Patriots were, the entire league was in a depressed market. So the Patriots went out and spent two years worth of free agency money, and they received tremendous value. You look at the financial terms of those deals a year later, and they look very good. So they've done some of last year's free agency Oh, some of this year's free agency last year. You know, Warren Buffett once said, it's wise for investors to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. That's how the Patriots have treated free agency going back to when I was there with Willie. And it's a core tenant of their football and their business. You know, this idea of all gas and no brakes isn't always the best way to do business. <laughs> it works sometimes, it's good sometimes, but sometimes you need to tap the brakes and be a little <laughs> bit more patient. And what you need to do is use every single opportunity for player acquisition. You know, the first wave of free agency has ended. We're now into this second wave. And in the second wave, there's a new free agency because once players are signed, players get cut. So now there's more players. After the draft, there will be more players cut. After the 53-man cut, there will be more players available for free agency. So building a football team and building a roster is something that takes a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of patience. What well, Scott Pioli, that isn't going to sell any auto glass or bonus supplements. But Dan, it's, it's kind of what you, he's encapsulated right there, what we're preaching. There are people with their hair on fire, you know, losing their minds on the Twitter machine over the Patriots. Do something! Yeah. On the, the last week of March, it really is insanity. I, I, I thought that's, uh, he certainly said it a lot better than I could. You know, and after 20 years, they're still doing it. They, 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 they've seen, they've witnessed what Belichick does most every year, except for last year when they had that competitive advantage to 
uh, more money than than most everybody else. They were like one of eight teams that teams that could uh, compete for for free agents last year. So they changed and took advantage of that competitive advantage. But every other year, they're they're smart about it and wait, see what the market dictates, and then go in in the second wave because there's plenty of good players then. Uh, what I don't understand is how people look at what happened and still say the cap is crap because that if anything it's 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 illustrated that it's it's not crap there's there's no way that like jerry jones would have let amari cooper and randy gregory and and Lael collins and cedric wilson all leave if he wasn't restricted by the salary cap great point and the the pittance that the browns paid to get amari cooper certainly looks so much better in light of the deals for Devonte adams and tyreek hill scartelli um you know, it's what's the definition of insanity, right? You know, regarding these these shriek, shrieking ninnies on the radio and the idiot sports writers who just all they do is stoke, stoke the flames in uh, among the ill-informed instead of informing the ill-informed. It's it's frankly, it's a little bit tiresome. Oh, it gets tiresome. They're like the uh, bourbon rulers of uh, old France. They've uh, they've forgotten nothing and they've learned nothing is what it comes down to. It's 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 just terrible that in the uh, in the Sunday Globe we had uh, Ben Volan discussing and saying you know authoritatively that the cap you know that uh, all the uh, all the movement that went on uh, to uh, create space to you know get Tom Brady back proves that the uh, salary cap is as real as the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus. This is what the uh, lead NFL writer for the. The, you know, the flagship paper in New England is writing. It, it's, it's embarrassing. If, if these people were capable of embarrassment, they, they, they should feel it. Wait, Ben does believe in those things, right? Uh, well, <laughs> ooh, I, I had not considered that. It, well, it's the Easter Bunny, uh, Santa Claus, and Ben Volan's alleged intellect. So th- there's a cause and effect to everything with the cap, you know, despite what the, the Bobos on 98.5 say, Mike. Uh, Aaron Rodgers signs a huge contract, $50 million a year. Devontae Adams gets traded. Patrick Mahomes' contract be starting to begin its ascent in terms of increased salary cap space, and they trade Tyreek Hill, probably the right thing to do in that case. But the cap is crap crowd. Now the, the argument is that like you haven't done anything without Tom Brady. Spoiler, he's been gone two years, and they're in the process of building something. Uh, what's, what's the Patriots – what are you seeing – feeling the Patriots approaches while they have Mac on a rookie contract. As Pioli said, they spent essentially two years worth of salary cap money in one year. And by the way, the Bourne and Aguilar contracts look fantastic now compared to the money's being thrown around. But what do you say, Mike? Well, you, you'll never get anybody to admit that the Aguilar contract is, is a good one, but it is. I, I'm sorry. Um, and I, I think the, the I thing that I, yeah, the thing that I think is um, the PLA thing is just it's so good. I hadn't heard it actually. I, I meant to listen to it a few times and got distracted. Um, so I'm just hearing it now for the first time. And it basically encapsulates, like you said, uh, everything that I kind of think about uh, the last couple of years anyway. And just the fact that people couldn't understand the basic uh, principle that Bill going, you're, would you rather go shopping in a contracting uh, cap situation where you have the most um, financial power like the Patriots did last year. So the fact that they made that the, that splurge is the least surprising thing ever because they have an understanding of 
value and what they're going to be able to get in the in the marketplace. So it was just like, yeah, that's 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 really everything right there. That says it all. And I think what we'll see again next year is uh, if it's not as big as as it was last in in the uh, March of 21, it will be uh, something you know approaching that with given the space that they're likely to have. So I think I think that they're going to get better just on the fact of um, you know. Mac getting better this yes. year. I think he's going to prove a lot. So I think that that's going to cover up for, uh, you know, whatever, you know, however little that uh, Smith or Aguilar might not have meet, met the expectations of, of the Madden folks on Twitter. So I think that's going to cover up for that, but I, I you know, watch out the next off season. Then they're really going to have, have some funny money to spend. So it's just, it's just being smart about the money and, and not being crazy and not doing stupid things. And the fact that they didn't, kick money down the road in perpetuity uh, puts them in that position. So they can contend this year. I'm sorry. They're not the 11th, you know, they're probably not the 11th best, best team in the conference. Rick T for whoever's saying that, but um, yeah, they're, they're in a great position the next two years. Uh, well, the row of chairs is all, is all facing the same way. Um, that's the point you made the point, Mike, that I wanted to make that I don't think Scartelli put in our, uh, our thread pro football focus is, is stolen the concept of wins above replacement and they have the Patriots as uh, in the bottom, I believe the bottom five teams in the lead in terms of their off season improvement index. Uh, those are, those are just words, PFF, John, um, how do you feel about the Patriots approach to this off season? And again, we're recording this the last week of March and people have their, their fucking hair on fire and screaming on social media about it. it, it oh, you don't have Brady now. Well, you do have a, a pretty good, pretty damn good young quarterback and he's got a full a full off season to work with he has his, his first year under his belt uh the 11th best team bullshit in the afc yes. is, you know come on it, it's ridiculous and that i mean that stuff's ridiculous and i do agree it is kind of you know garbage writers like volan and sports radio you know yackers preying on people and getting them worked up uh, unnecessarily. And, you know, shame on those people for allowing themselves after to Dan's point again, you know, 20 years of watching the greatest to ever do it, uh, do what he does. And they allow themselves to be, you know, kind of gaslit by these idiots on the radio. I mean, these, these people are allowing themselves to get worked up and they should know better. Right. So I don't have tremendous amount of sympathy uh, for folks like that, you know, dog in the reigning executive of the year. Uh, Bill Belichick, who, you know, anybody who's paying attention can see, you know, the Aguilar contract is a good deal right now. I mean, compare the Aguilar contract to the Valdez-Scantling contract. You know, you're going to tell me that that Aguilar contract isn't a markedly better deal for the Patriots than what the Chiefs just paid to Valdez-Scantling, you know, paying at the top of the market for a guy whose numbers last year weren't even as good as Aguilar's, right? The, the, it's, you know, the idea that Mac is, Mac alone getting better is probably the most underappreciated aspect. And, and I would point folks to a quote from Joe Burrow, who toward the end of last season was talking about how much easier things were for him in year two versus year one, this, this massive growth from year Good one point. to year two. You know, you're, you're telling me that Mac Jones doesn't have the potential to have that kind of growth. And people are already putting like these ridiculous caps on Mac's ceiling and give me a freaking break, right? I mean, Mac Jones has shown me everything that I would want to see in a young player playing for my favorite team that he is going to, you know, he is intent on making that leap into true superstardom, right? So how can people not have confidence in these things? How can people, you know, they, they say, 
you know, well, it's okay, it's okay to admit Bill isn't perfect, right? right. You know, right. So, it's okay to admit Bill isn't perfect, fine. But you're going to put your faith in Tony Maserati? Like you're gonna put your faith in Chris Gasper? Like you're you're gonna you're gonna look at seriously, you're gonna look at like what Bill Belichick is doing and then what Chris Gasper or Ben Volan or Greg Bedard are saying, and you're like, well, you know, Belichick over 20 years, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he's done these things, but but you know, Gasper makes a salient point here, you know. I mean, maybe, you know, it's like, I mean, what world are we living in? And and, and I'm old enough to remember the narrative. Bill Belichick's never, you know, won anything without Tom Brady until he goes to the playoffs last year with Mac Jones. I mean, what is, what are the, where are the goalposts here? You know, Bill, Bill Belichick's never won anything without Brady. I mean, look, he took a rookie quarterback to the playoffs, a rookie quarterback who's almost assuredly going to get better next year. Guys that have been in the system now a second year, uh, you, you're telling, you, you, there's just so much to believe in with this team and people side with the negativity. And I just can't wrap my head around that. Lombardi never won without star Landry never won without Staubach. Paul Brown Walsh, never won anything without Otto Graham. Anything. And Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, as we know, yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I can't believe that what you said about Valdez Scantling's numbers are true. I had to look it up myself. Nelson Aguilar had 37 catches for 477 yards last year. Valdez Scantling, he was the toast of the town and he, a WR one and a weapon with a Z had 26 catches for 430 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. Don't believe the bullshit. Believe yeah. believe your own eyes and you know be informed. I'd like to think people who listen to this podcast or at least pretend to be informed. There is yeah, a hyphenated you know, you know, receiver you, gap, though. The Patriots are, you know, behind in that. <laughs> I, I will say this. If I'm a Chiefs fan, and I know at least one person I'm looking at on the screen has a Chiefs fan friend, I would be concerned. All these picks that they just accumulated, then they go out and they dump all this money on a, a WR4, right? I mean, you know, that's that to me is a panicky move. I am glad Belichick isn't making that move. And yet you've got... You know, the the Yackers telling you that because they were in on Belbis Scantling but didn't get him, oh, that's another Belichick failure. No, 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 no. Three years, 30 million would have been a Belichick failure that he he did not make. So you're saying that Valdez Scantling will be dumped next offseason for Nikhil Harry. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Maybe a fifth round pick to the Browns. Hey, um, we're gonna shift gears. Uh, we're gonna get away from football here for a second because I I'm excited. I'm a honk, a bobo. I am a green teamer. I'm proud to admit it. <laughs> Uh, Mike on route one, the Celtics are 28 and seven in the last 35 games. They are fun to watch. They are a good take as it were. They're playing fantastic defense. What, what are your expectations for the rest of the season? Can they, the East, the East is loaded right now. They're just one and a half games out of the one seed. And you don't necessarily want the one seed. If, if Brooklyn comes out of the playing game, that'll be, that'll be a tough series. That's a team that's better than the record for obvious reasons, but uh, what are your expectations? How are you feeling about the Celtics' chances? Uh, what a what a wagon they are. Uh, they, they sure get after it defensively. I mean, yeah. shit, he's got them playing so well defensively. It's it's pretty impressive. Um, and I mean, Brad Stevens for executive executive of the year. I mean, Red what Stevens. a great job. And the the white acquisition has been um, you know really kind of shifted things a bit. Uh, but man, they, they, and well, maybe we can give it posthumously to Danny Ainge too, for, for the Williamses. Um, yes. Just really, really a great uh, team, to, fun team to watch. And, you know, I don't know what, I think my expectation is 
they win a series, I'll be, I'll be, I think that's, you know, mission accomplished, but just given the way they've been playing, I mean, there's, there are situations where they could come out of the East. I could see that, um, you know, the way they've been playing since, since new year's, um, uh, you know, what's their overall point differential now, it must be plus seven almost. Um, so it's gotta be pretty, you know, it was pretty dead even at the, um, at the break. So it's going to be more than that in, in the new year. So they've just been really, um, fun to watch and seeing kind of Tatum go to, I think probably a, you know, a top, top two teams, all NBA for sure. Now a, a top 10 guy in the league. Um, it's, it's been, he, he made the leap. I think he finally, they yeah. finally went on. I and finally, you know, he's not, not old. So, <laughs> um, it, it, I guess you, you needed to be patient, but yeah, he, I think he made the jump. Your, your point is right. Their net rating is plus 6.8. That's second best in basketball. And that's coming quite away from earlier, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the season. Dan, they were for 18 months. The Celtics were a 500 team. I, you know, I got to give it up to Red Stevens. He went out in the offseason. He signed some, uh, he signed some veterans. He signed Josh Richardson. He brought in uh, Dennis, the despicable Dennis Schroeder on a short term deal, turned it into to Derek White. And while White is an excellent basketball player, they have four legitimate NBA guards. The pieces fit really, really well in this team. I'm having a ton of fun watching them. I, I can't wait till White's shots start to fall again. Um, but you and I were talking about this. They're so well, well tailored to defend in today's game. I mean, that everybody's got that ball, ball high pick, and that's trying to make those mismatches. And they go about like seven deep and guys who can switch off on anybody without creating mismatches. I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing that's unique in amongst the teams in the league. I don't, who else can do that? Off the top of my head, I don't know. They, I, I can't answer that question for you, but you're correct is that they have, and all those guys that you just mentioned, they're, they're, they can get after it defensively as well. Scartelli, what's back home in, in, uh, in Massachusetts? What's, how does, how does the, how are people feeling about the team? Most of us don't live in Massachusetts anymore. So tell us, the pulse of the fan base, not the, the mouth breathing uh, radio honks and bobos. Oh, people are excited about the Celtic squad. They're, they're, you know, they, they know that uh, it was nonsense thinking that they had to, uh, you know, ship the Jays or uh, get rid of, get rid of smart or any of that nonsense. It's, 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 it's exciting to watch them. It's a great, uh, great fun team. The, you know, the new head coach is working out just fine. It's, it's, it's great. It's great. It's, it's a, it's a good problem to have that. Oh, oh no. Now we've got another exciting team in town. So it's, 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 it's an embarrassment of riches, which is why, uh, which is why the media not getting behind any of the teams is exasperating. Yeah. It's the us versus them mentality it has the potential to be a very, very fun spring uh, with the Bruins kind of, gearing up for their their last run with or maybe one of their last runs with the with admittedly what is an aging core bergeron marshan that sort and those guys uh john uh, just when you thought that you were out the celtics are pulling you back in uh you know they could be eliminated in the first round as uh and as mike once said i could see them coming out of the east just it's uh it's been a fun year watching it. tatum has made the leap brown fits so well uh Robert Williams is is a, the best rim protector they've had in a long, long time. Reminds me a little bit, and you know, listen, my exuberance is going to come through here. Reminds me a little bit of um, the role. Rex Stevenson. 
Kirk steams him. Yeah. Uh, Mark Akers. Um, the, reminds me a little bit of the role DeAndre Jordan played on the Lob City Clippers. He defends the rim and he's so good taking the lob and, and, uh, and jamming and, and slamming it in. So uh, how do you feel about the Celts? You know, one of my favorite basketball lines is defense travels. And, you know, they talk about it a lot in the college tournament, which I've enjoyed watching too. And um, if you're a good defensive team, you can, you can beat just about anybody on any night. And if, if they're making shots, you know, they're going to play good perimeter defense. So, um, you know, it's, I, I think about, again, the takes on this team and I will say, I never, ever, ever, there's no evidence whatsoever between our texts, Mike, uh, that I wanted to break up the Jays never believed it. I didn't understand, didn't understand why they were struggling. I mean, I can, I can look back in our texts, right. And after that loss against Portland in January, I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't get that Portland team is garbage. I don't think Lillard played that night. Like, how did they lose that game? Like, what is wrong with this team? Are they ever going to figure it out this year? But I that don't Portland think team should... is a G. It is a G League team. I'm stuck watching them uh, every right. other night. Right. So, so like that. That sort of ran, and that 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 loss took them, I think, a game below 500. Right. And then and they, it turns they, out it's just so, short term variance, right? Yeah. And 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 so I'm like, it, I I was struggling to understand what was wrong here, and I'll be damned if they didn't just flip a switch, and it's you know the the way they're playing now i mean Beth, I, like i don't know why you'd settle for winning a playoff series like i i would be enthusiastic this team can come out of the east you know is it is it is it you know miami with with you know jimmy butler threatening to beat up his coach like i mean are they they're not they don't look like a favorite right uh brooklyn obviously now that Kyrie can play home games um you know brooklyn's a, an interesting probably dangerous team but I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it ends up the Celtics in Brooklyn matching up in either the Eastern semis or the Eastern finals. Like that's, that's what I would kind of expect the way the Celtics are playing and uh, you know, just how, how everything's rolling. They are, they are rolling. Uh, I think the words we'll hear from the, uh, from the mediates in, in the, in the Boston area is going to be, is this sustainable? Uh, 28 and seven is a pretty damn good sample size. It is uh, starting to come together. Pepper starting to come together. So, we're going to go at Bill Simmons. We're coming after you at, at your kind of thing. We're going to go do a bit of a rewatchables thing. Uh, we're all watching the HBO documentary winning time about uh, Jerry Buss and Magic Johnson and the, the Lakers rise to a dynasty. Uh, Michael Chiklis, shame on you, by the way. Mike, what was your impressions of the first three episodes of winning time? I, John C. Riley definitely pulls off Jerry Buss, but I mean, besides the eight foot rims, what were your impressions? Um, I, I like it and I I'm in and uh, I'll stick with it. I mean, Jesus, I've, I've stuck with fucking, this is us. I've got six more episodes, six more episodes to go. Thank God. You know, I watched the, Put news the noose right. away. Yeah. And, and I watched the, I, all the newsroom and I was actually thinking tonight, I was like, you know, this would be a different show if Sorkin had written it and probably a better show, but um, if you can get past the McKayness of it all, I think the, the McKay part of it works for bus. I'm not crazy about it for everyone else, but you know, it's just the fact that everyone is so heightened and it's so it's such a caricature. Um, you know, it, the, you know, particularly Jason Clark is a good actor as Jerry West is just like hit a different note, man. Come on. Like reel that one back. Um, don't just smell a character arc there though. Knowing how the 79-80 season turned out for the Lakers, there's definitely going to be a character arc. Well, yeah, but, but yeah, uh, well, I think Wes is, yeah, I, I, I hope that there's less of him now, though. I mean, there's going to kind of have to be since he's the, 
going to be what a scout now i think and yeah, he's a scout until he becomes the uh the, the gm but um it's it's just it's there's so much i think um isaiah quincy as magic is really good i he's think excellent. It's, i don't know i don't know who else could have played him and they found the right person um thankfully uh poor chick hearn though man he is uh, oh, i mean yes. the, man, the man did the man did and the man did say that bo outlaw hung on the rim you know long enough to eat, eat a, a banana, banana. <laughs> but uh but oh. that said man okay i was like the first time they were like when he he said something he, he made a comment and then last episode they had up calling the uh, security guy telling riley they hired a new gorilla out front it's like jesus okay so i i didn't know his i don't know if his racial history is that complicated but you know the red stuff was just kind of they're careful not to um you know say like oh red arbuck was racist because they know that's a not a thing they could win but you know they let larry o'brien do it in, in his presence there in the second episode and you know if the show had any balls it, it would have done something like you know red could have you know red saying something like you know i was starting you know uh, you know, five black guys or four black guys when you were, you know, fucking jerking off. Um, so, you know, come on, like, uh, that's kind of bullshit. And I know they have to play that up, but it's that that to me is that's a little bit much when you have the most progressive guy kind of in in the history of the league. Absolutely. Setting up as, up as that guy. But overall, I, I'm, I could talk for, about this for another half hour, but um, I, I'm in I'm in for the for the long haul for sure. Uh, John was all wound up after he watched the episode with red where how they framed red it's 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 really it's kind of a lazy narrative tried and true kind of giving the people of lakers you know what, what do they call yeah. themselves lakers nation what they want to hear red being painted as the uh neanderthal and jerry bus being uh you know yep. indira gandhi but john you were wound up about it go ahead yeah i, I mean it lost me permanently on episode one with that bullshit narrative on Boston and, you know, sounds about white sort of thing that they, that they pulled early on in episode one. And then the red stuff in episode two uh, was lousy as well. Uh, I am going to watch it because my son likes it. He's kind of curious about it. It's an opportunity to talk vintage basketball with them. We can kind of go into like real history and YouTube and archives and stuff like that kind of trampoline off the show. But I'm, I'm just kind of gritting my teeth. I mean, it's no, this is us, right? It's not that it's <laughs> like, I mean, I, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't know what kind of bullet you're taking for a family member there or what my, my, my wife likes, this is us. I have to like put in earplugs when she's watching that shit, but I'll, I'll, I'll grind through, I'll grind through um, winning time, but no, I can't forgive. I cannot forgive that bullshit narrative on Boston especially Red Auerbach. I mean, you kid like the, the, the adjacency to Red Auerbach there between episode one and episode two and that bullshit narrative, I can't get over that. Red drafted the first African-American player in the NBA history. He had the first black starting five. He hired the first black coach. Uh, Scartelli, uh, what, are you watching Winning Time? And if so, what are your impressions? I'm not watching it and you can't make me. <laughs> Fair enough. I have, he I have, loves, I have, loves Adam I have McKay. Zero, zero He's a big Adam McKay Adam guy. McKay. Big Adam I did, McKay guy. <laughs> I, did, I mean, the Anchorman thing, that worked pretty well. When it was basically just you know, having uh, Will Fellow go, okay, what if we do the George W. Bush character, but with the uh, Bobby Goulet <laughs> voice and mustache? That was the movie. <laughs> and I, did, you know, I did not like Step Brothers, which Terrible. put me in, you Terrible. know. Terrible. So, so, I, so I, no, 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 no. To Mike's point, but, it is. But, you the, know, it's good for you guys, though. <laughs> well, Scartelli, <laughs> Scartelli, as he likes to say during four downs, Scartelli out. Um, Dan, winning time, your thoughts. Oh, 
it certainly is entertaining at least i mean i, I was telling um Mike on Route One, that Jason Clark playing Jerry West seemed like he's channeling Kurt Russell uh, in a Quentin Tarantino flick. I mean, he's just so over. <laughs> he looks the top. like him too, doesn't he? He looks like yeah, him. Yeah, right. That's what I thought of. It's that's yeah. like they must have like their second choice. But he's my favorite character, hands down. I, I can't wait to see what happens next with with Jerry West. Who who what you know what piece of trophy he's gonna destroy? Um, but there's so much caricature going on. You, you, I, I'm not even, we've, we've lived it, so we don't really necessarily wonder how much is real, how much is fiction. It's painting in these big, broad swipes and, and making all these, the people of, you know, important people of that era look like complete buffoons. Yeah, like, yeah that's true. You know, I, how do we run a draft? How do we, you know, that type of thing. But couldn't, couldn't we have anybody other than Michael Chiklis as Red? <laughs> he's a to... local guy lo hyper local <laughs> so ridiculous you know and the funny thing too you just reminded me uh dan you know the last episode it's like they, they do a lot of member mem member berries too like last episode was like there was an oj simpson reference like you gotta do it like juice man it's like okay we get that like you don't need to do that and like cosby it's like come on man like you don't have to do every single person they did episode one was donald sterling like Right. Oh, the second worst Donald of the eighties. It's like, hey, yeah, I fucking, we all hate Donald Trump. Okay. I, I get it. We get it. You don't, you don't have to do that to us. You know, it's just, it's subtle as, you know, as subtle as don't look up was. I have to say one of the things that I'm enjoying is Norm Nixon's son playing big pimpin' Norm Nixon. Uh, I had a visceral reaction when Pat Riley came on the screen looking like uh, a homeless character from one of the Anchorman movies. Uh, Adrian Brody really underplaying uh, the Pat Riley thing. It's a, that character is going to annoy the piss out of me. The, the yeah, when puts, asshole. When he puts the grease in the hair in like in season two, in this at the end of the season two premiere, it's going to be obnoxious when he slicks the hair back. It really is. It's it vomit vomitorious might be uh, my reaction that sort of thing. It is. I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's kind of a it's a campy guilty pleasure. The breaking the fourth or bus or Riley breaking the fourth wall continually as as bus. Is as I mentioned earlier, it's really is just a really, really, really over the top McKay production, and that's why Scartelli is out. And you know what, Scartelli, I can't, I can't blame you for it. I am looking forward to the episode where the Lakers get their dicks kicked in in the eighty in the eighty four finals. That's going to be something that may have to be labeled NC seventeen um, out here in the Irons household in the Northwest. Um, Scartelli, you, you've done it again. The March Sadness Tournament is another arousing success. And we are down to the less than grade eight. Uh, here are the matchups uh, for the title of worst media in Boston. Uh, this is in a couple of upsets. Uh, Big Jim Murray is going to be facing off against uh, a futility Lou Merloni. We have almost the coach Greg Bedard, a battle of the Titans against Tom E. Curran. On the other side of the bracket is... Uh, you know, no one can, no one wins here. Shank against uh, the captain of the Saurus, Kid Gasper, and Mittens losing Dullard, Ben Volan, against strong comer Ted Johnson. Scartelli. What's your favorite matchup of, of, of the four? Oh, I, I think I got to go with the all Globy edition uh, there. I, there's, there's, there's so much, so much to dislike there among these, uh, these hateable eight. But the, that particular, that particular matchup, it's it's just going to it's uh, it's 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 young blood against you know old and experienced 
it's going to be something. It's going to be something. And this is, uh, we have, we, this, we, this is something that the 15 picked up from our uh, predecessor organization, the BJBSJ. They did this back in 19. And then we, you know, didn't do that for a couple of years for, for reasons, <laughs> reasons, both uh, reasonable and, you know, just, just uh, no one, no one knew how oh, to we, do it. There are COVID protocols. We could, we couldn't do that. COVID okay. protocols. Exactly. The, uh, the interns were stuck in the building and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't get out of the, couldn't get out of their own way, but it's, it's, there's been, uh, there's been a few, uh, there's been a few um, folks that have gotten, you know, three digit uh, vote totals during these, uh, during these, uh, during the tournament. And it's been, it's been a lot of fun to uh, run and see, and uh, people are, I think the people are enjoying it. I agree. And I thank you for your hard work on that Scartilli. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Mike, does Curran have any chance of upsetting Bedard? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I'm, I, I'll, I, I, I think it's going to be like 70-30. I'm going to go like 70-30 there, I think. Um, he we'll should. Set the over, we'll, he set should. The over, we'll set the over-under right. at 70. There we go. For the yeah, so I think, I, think, I, I think, you know, I always, when I think about these things, I'm like, okay, who is the greater threat, right? So it was always kind of like, you know, when people talk about who's worse, Shank or Felger. Well, you know, in 2017, nobody listens to Dan Shaughnessy and everybody hates Dan Shaughnessy. So Michael, Michael Felger is worse, therefore worse than, than, um, than, um, you know, than Dan Shaughnessy because he's a bigger threat. So uh, in this case, though, I think it's really interesting because Curran is, is a bigger threat because he's still, I think, very well respected by a lot of people. Um, I don't know why at this point, because he has shown um, who he is. So that's, that's an interesting matchup and I don't think people like um, almost a coach. So I think it's going to be kind of a, uh, a, a walkover for him, but um, really great job by the committee here with these matchups. These are like, these are dynamite. Like Merloni is just a loathsome human being going up against another loathsome human being. Um, oh, he pulled but, out the upset against Felger in this, uh, in the previous, yeah, in the, yeah. Uh, and I'm really, you know, props to him. Uh, he's a, uh, his, I had no clue. Oh, sorry about that. His, his attitude, you know, I think it's the condescending attitude. He just, um, you know, the people hate him and he's, he's, he's built for this time of year. (laughs) (laughs) You have to have the horses in March. (laughs) Is there, is there any way that, uh, you know, Dan, what's your favorite matchup? Oh gosh. I haven't followed enough to see who's, who, who the next ones are. Um, you're going full. Was, Adam, he, goes by the uniform. He, by the, he likes the mascot. Dan goes by the mascot. That's right. So, right. Color, like so my, Tom like Curran is a liver spot. The liver spot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking on this, you know, what would the mediates want with this? Wouldn't, wouldn't this be something that Felger would want to win? Yes. Right. That's that part he, of the calculus too. Yeah. You know, he's, he, he's, he's pissing off exactly the people that he wants to piss off and it's a feather in his cap. That's true. It's, it, it, when I vote, I'm kind of taking that into account. I know yeah. it would bother Chris Gasper to take home uh, the, the immediate crown. I'm, I'm, I can't convince myself. I've done the mental gymnastics that it would really bother Gasper. Uh, John, John, have you voted early? Have you voted often? And who's your favorite to come away with the biggest immediate um, in the 15 at the 15net.com's poll? I've been I've been sending in my my votes from public libraries in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> that explains. I thought someone was using a VPN. All right, <laughs> thank you. Um, so you know, first of all, I will say my my only quibble is how underseated Curran was. 
I think he has shown, yeah. uh, he has shown, and I'm, and I'm proud of my fellow voters, uh, that he has made it to the, the hateful eight. Um, <laughs> he was a seven seed, which wasn't yes. terrible, but well, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this, I just, you know, used the template from 19 and switched a few things around. The, the, I, I Cartelli, don't go behind the, the curtain. Committee. I, I, I like I to think, I like to think his, his relatively low seating is because NBCS Boston is a mid-major. No one, no, <laughs> they, <laughs> oh, I like the that. automatic bid. So was, they got the automatic bid. He was a walkover bid. against the, the two seed in, this, in the sour 16, I will say. So. <laughs> yeah, who knew the um, Continental Cablevision still had an automatic bid <laughs> to the tournament? <laughs> Scartelli, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite to come away with the crown? To be honest, I could see I could see Ted Johnson going all the way. Wow! He's wow! Just, what a uh, heel turn! What a heel turn! It, 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 it's he was you know he wasn't even you know on on the radar anywhere, but the way he's acted over the past eighteen months, he's you know he went you know he was the two seed down in the uh, down in the T region. Jim Nance is going to have have to have come up with a good kind of like pun when you know when when Ted wins it you know as Nance does when he does this kind of thing. From the flop house to the penthouse or something like that. <laughs> what a moment. Like yeah. I'm going with Volan. I'm going with Volan, though. I, I just think it's tough that, to beat. The, the Vol- Volan is tough to beat because I think he, he gets, you know, he triggers you on so many different levels, right? He writes for, as, as you said, the flagship paper in New England. Uh, he's an idiot. Um, I don't think anybody, you know, I don't it's think a great anybody, scouting report. You know, <laughs> I don't think anybody respects him intellectually. And, and yet the, the trolling, like, you know, his, his here, here are where the three free agent quarterbacks or three available quarterbacks are going to go like that. The, the ink wasn't even dry on that tweet and he was over two. Right. I mean, it was like, you know, what, what the hell are you doing? Right. Like, do you, do you, like you've just outed yourself of not knowing anything beyond the purview of your couch. Like everybody knows he reports on the league from you know the the red zone channel right hold on that's so, that's Bert's territory back off yeah well i mean again that was a that was a, a good matchup as well right i mean i think he took he oh, took Bert out in the sour that's, 16, that's exactly so. what he did he uh, yeah you know, he got so, he, he knocked him out yep so so I, not, I think it's it's gotta was, be Volan. for once he wasn't threatening <laughs> menacing there we go it's gotta it's gotta be Volan. i think Volan has just done too much to to you know, for folks to, to avoid voting for him. I don't care if he faces Johnson or, you know, Bedard or whoever he's going to face down the stretch. He's, he's going to run away with it. I have Butch from the Cape scouting report on Ben Volan. <laughs> he's small. He's a fucking moron. He's a fucking moron. And he's small. <laughs> By the way, the correct answer is Bedard. Wrong! I feel like I can do the McLaughlin. The correct answer is Greg <laughs> Bedard has to take the crown. <laughs> because I know it would it would bother him. By the way, what happened, what happened to his cod piece? He lost the weight and the hair, evidently. Looking good, Billy Ray. Uh, Patrick Scartelli, 15 seconds, go. <laughs> Wrong! <laughs> right, uh, Scartelli does, uh, forfeits his 15 seconds on winning time. But Scartzi, seriously, thank you for doing that. And if you're listening to Entitled Town, you better be voting. Uh, the voting starts on Monday the 28th, correct, Scartelli? That's correct, and from there it'll be the, uh, the you know, the four you deplore, and then, <laughs> and, and then you know, we will we will go from there to the uh, for the the final. Vote Bedard twenty two. That is the official position from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we have an email, um, Vinny. Thank you for sending an email. Uh, I'm going to direct this one first uh, to you, uh, Mike. Uh, Vinny says that he's come across a lot of advanced stat nerds 
and thoroughly despised in, in both the NBA and the NFL. Warren Sharp and Kevin Clark, perhaps the worst in the NFL, and Nate Duncan and just about everyone else are in a tie for the worst in the NBA. They all think they know more than the players who actually play the game, a bunch of talentless hacks who couldn't get a job doing anything else. Which advanced analytical community is worse, Mike on Route 1? Um, well, Warren, Warren Sharp, uh, nice mustache, stupid. Um, good Lord. Uh, uh, Ooh, ironic. You're, you're so edgy. God. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I go directly to sites for NBA analytics. Um, and, uh, so I don't really know. And I, and I don't really follow like Warren Sharp or anybody like that on Twitter because it would just trigger me. So, um, I'm not sure. I'm, not, I'm guessing it's the um, NFL just because I think it's less inclined to be friendly to, um, to that kind of analysis. I think the NBA has a, uh, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to tease things out and it does seem there are some good metrics like you know, EPM um, RPM ESPN is okay. Uh, the LeBron metric is pretty, is a pretty good one. And I, I I've read some interviews with front office folks kind of vouching for for a couple of those so um I, I my guess is that the nba just based on the fact that it would be like if we threw baseball in there baseball would be less offensive too because baseball is more friendly to these kind of things so yep. i'm guessing it's and the nfl is is more offensive by by a long shot i would guess i would agree and you're also when you're doing a player analytics you're, you're one of 22 rather than uh you know one of 10 on a basketball court dan do you have does anyone particularly irk you is there is it Anything that grinds your gears in the, in the advanced metrics community? Well, Sharp, of course. Uh, I mean, he showed his bias long ago during uh, Deflategate when he had that bullshit Patriots fumbles. fumbles. Right. You yeah, Sharp. And then there were actual... I didn't know uh, that was Sharp. I didn't know that. Ah, oh, shit. Yeah, I yeah that. he had like multiples that he came out with. And, and, and uh, there were a bunch of um, legitimate statistical uh, analysts that came out to explain what was wrong with his methodology. Um, he had some one, one of them was that he ruled out all dome teams completely from the study he anybody that was a dome team you couldn't he had something like he as part of the metric he had fumbles uh total um uh, total no what was it? it was it was fumbles recovered as a instead of uh just total fumbles because how could you pot and fumbles recovered there's there's no there's nothing that you could show with a a, a ball that has less less uh, psi in it that makes it easier to recover but it, it was just on and on and he just had something recently where he was the guy that was uh making fun of the patriots trade uh trading up for um uh christian barmore yes <laughs> and, and compared it against uh the, the the titans uh trading for julio jones that's former titan julio jones that's just right. to point that out yeah yeah yeah, the so that, that's nice, you know, egg on his face. Scartelli, do you know who gave Warren Sharp his largest platform uh, in the past couple of years? That would be one California Bill Simmons hired uh, Warren, the uh, not appropriately named Warren Sharp, to, do, to be a tout for the Ringer website, appear on those sorts of shows. Uh, did any of that stuff, you know, is there a red flag for you with any of the analytics stuff? No, the entire uh, PFF uh, empire is yes. just uh, it, 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 
it just makes my chest contract to see the PFF <laughs> stats underneath the players when they do the uh, do the introductions on uh, NBC uh, on NBC. It is like those those aren't real numbers. That, those are just made up numbers. It's it's ridiculous. It's whose line is it anyway? Sort of stuff. Or whose and lying it, is it anyway? <laughs> and and oh, it, it's just it's it's just too much, too much all the time. By the way, Scartelli, I have not taken advantage of my vacation offer that was extended by Pro Football <laughs> Focus about 10 years ago. So if you want to have a no expenses paid trip to Cincinnati, you just let me know. Maybe we'll do that as an, at the entitled Scarcy time. loves the cuisine. Scarcy loves the cuisine in Cincinnati. So that's a good spot oh, for him. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I want to put the, I want to, you know, sit in the same seat that uh, the commissioner <laughs> and uh, Peter, this booth that Commissioner Goodell. Skyline Chili for Scarcy. Maybe we can have an entitled town sp- sponsor. Can you imagine eating chili with Peter King? What level of hell is that, Scarzi? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, that would, that would just, uh, wow. But the man likes a nosh is what it comes down to. <laughs> Citrusy beer and Skyline chili. I would not want to be in the cavern seat next to him on his flight out of Cincinnati. Uh, John, advanced analytics. Uh, Warren Sharp's taking a beating. Is, is, is there anyone that just annoys you? Well, I appreciate the the question from Vinny as always, and I definitely go with the football side of it uh, for the reasons that were already laid out. I definitely agree with Scarcy on the the whole PFF gang. I think the thing that that bothers me the most, and you see this across the the, the spectrum, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, whatever. I'm sure hockey has it, whatever. Um, it's the absolutism of it that drives me crazy, right? It's the the fact that I've got this formula and this formula shows that based on DVOA, this is the best defense, right? And that there's there's so much context involved in individual performance, team performance. The part of the, frankly, part of the joy of being a sports fan is the arguments, is the debates. And I've always felt like for years, going back to like the early baseball prospectus days, their website, right? Before some of those guys got hired for real and they became the patron saints for all these nerds of today who also want to work in front offices, right? It's like, don't drive the the art and the culture and the, you know, that, that sort of like the ambiguity out of sports because you've got a formula and your numbers show this, right? There's so much more to the game. So much joy is derived from the, the kind of the arbitrary nature of it and, and the like. So that the, the statistical stuff definitely has value. I mean, it was yes. tweet, you know, I was thinking about Moneyball and, you know, the Patriots and their Moneyball philosophy is something I like to think about. And, you know, somebody responded to one of my tweets to that effect of, you know, the Patriots are non one of the least analytical teams, right? Uh, as evidence, they're not really the Moneyball Patriots. You shouldn't call them the Moneyball Patriots because they're, you know, among the least analytical teams. And I'm like, dude, you, you know, I didn't bother getting into it with this guy on Twitter because I don't tend to do that anyway. But it's like, you've missed the point of the book. You know, the book isn't about analytics. You know, I think analytics has kind of perverted the, the real core of that book, which is about taking advantage of market inefficiencies. Right. And the analytics idiots, are, the idiots take it as on-base percentage. Exactly. And the, the book isn't about on-base percentage. The book is about market inefficiencies and Billy Bean's success in identifying market inefficiencies and analytics are a tool to help you identify. They're a tool. They're not the absolute answer, right? And, you know, the way Belichick and the Patriots are run, you know, they stick to these core philosophies, identifying market inefficiencies. And the market inefficiency this year is probably paying CB1, WR1, you know, rack rate, you know, contracts. And 
they are going to find the inefficiency there. They may rejigger their their defense to take advantage of this market inefficiency. You know, stay tuned. That's part of the joy of being a Patriots fan. And yet you've got these people that are just, you know, bowing at these random statistical altars as if that is the the one single truth. And I I just think I, I think they're probably they're missing a lot of fun in being a sports fan. That's a good point. I think and this is kind of cross pollinating subjects from earlier. I think a lot of what's happening in the NFL right now with the, the Adams trade and, and uh, the Hill trade, and there's been a lot of off season activities thus far, you know, a lot of program for the NFL network. I think that the Rams, are, you know, taking their kick at the can by going all in on the Super Bowl. you know, it's the latest, greatest trend. And uh, a lot of the, the teams are just kind of reacting to the, the last thing they saw. It's, it doesn't just happen on social media. It happens in front offices uh in throughout uh, the nfl so i think that's a that's a good overall look Vinny. i hope we uh uh covered the ground that you were looking for us to cover again the email address for the show is entitledtown at gmail.com all right guys it's time for final thoughts sponsored by atamian honda scartsy uh you are uh, on the clock i'm pleased to announce that uh the 15net.com is going to be republishing uh old friend buckner's legs PSA to the Boston sports media that came out approximately a year ago. And we're going to be, uh, you know, hopefully uh, putting it out there again for the, if if people didn't see it, they should have, I think the Boston media should have seen it the first time. And they, maybe we, maybe we'll do some good with this. Yeah. He's a a great, uh, great guy on, uh, on the Twitter there. He's the uh, BSJ uh, subscription tracker as well as a uh, detractor of, uh, Jen Royal. So he's a. Do not speak her name. Do not speak her name two more times. <laughs> I do want to remind you, Scartelli, do not get the eggplant. No, no Dan, will do, not. Dan, uh, your final thought. Uh, with uh, Malcolm Butler being re signed, that's uh, rekindled everybody's thoughts about Super Bowl 52 and have to uh, bring all that back up again. Um, I was thinking on this that for the Patriots fans, Super Bowl 52 was that and that particular uh, issue with with Butler is like Pat's fans version of for uh, uh, Seattle fans with uh, second and goal. You know, yeah. it's it's reflective of people's childish ability to accept the outcome of things instead of reconciling with what actually happened. People look at the what ifs so that they can have somebody to blame. And with Seattle, it was their absolute conviction that had Marshawn Lynch run the ball, he'd score. So Pete Carroll was to blame. And with the Patriots, there was a certainty that Butler would have made one of the two or uh, one or two key plays that Johnson Batamosi did not. So Belichick was to blame. And it, it doesn't matter that uh, Butler came back and explained that it was a combination of illness and late arrival that week and being not being dialed in that into uh, being dialed in that week mentally. That excuse wasn't good enough because it provides no villain. Occam's razor suggests that that's the most logical explanation, but that's not good enough. And, and I think we should come up with a new razor that explains the way people unwilling to accept Occam's razor. I like that. Uh, well put, Dan. Yeah, the Butler thing, uh, it was on the agenda to discuss. I think we can probably push that out a little bit. Two years, nine million. I did not see how much guaranteed money is available. He did not play uh, during the 2021 season after signing with the Cardinals. But uh, 
Butler just signing back with the Patriots kills a lot of narratives um, that the media did try to sell us after he left to go play in Tennessee. Um, John, your final thought. Well, Dan took a little bit of my thunder on Malcolm Butler because, you know, Malcolm Butler is responsible for probably my single favorite play in my entire life of watching sports. If I could only watch one play on a continuous loop on a desert island my entire life, it would be that play. And Mike, you know, there's particular reasons for that beyond mm -hmm. just the play itself. Uh, but it was like, I will, uh, like Malcolm Butler could go the Delonte West route. And I could find him living under a bridge somewhere by where I, by where I live. And I would bring that dude home. I mean, I would like, I am so glad he's back. And not just because it slays narratives, not just because he was an undrafted free agent, came out of nowhere, worked his ass off, made the team. He represents everything that's great in sports, everything that's great in competition. I'm sorry it didn't go his way on the, the Eagles Super Bowl. I'm sorry that Patriots fans, you know, some Patriots fans are never going to like get over that. Um, but I have, and I am happy for the dude. I am happy for what he's accomplished. I'm glad he's back in New England. Uh, I want nothing but the best for that guy, whether he's on the football field or off. The other thing I would add just real quick, you know, earlier we talked briefly about cap is crap and, you know, it, it's been a bad week for cap is crap people, right? Uh, there's been a lot of good examples you could point to. Um, Dan mentioned the, the Cowboys and would they really have lost those guys if the cap was crap? And of course they wouldn't have. Uh, I would I would also encourage folks to look at what's happened with the Saints. You know, the Saints just lost Teron Armstead. Uh, you can say that he's getting paid too much money. You might be right on that. Um, they lost Marcus Williams, who was probably their best young defensive player. They replaced him with Marcus May, uh, who's coming off a torn Achilles. It's two and a half years older. I mean, this is not, those are not the moves of a team. They, they re-upped Jameis Winston for two years. So they're still in that bridge QB1 mode in New Orleans. Uh, hell, they lost Ty Montgomery of the Patriots. You know, these are not the moves of a team that is that can truly continue to kick the can down the road. They haven't added anybody of significance from any other team uh, to their roster. So, you know, the, the, the cap is crap, bullshit, gaslighting narrative uh, that, that sports media is trying to push down your throat, Patriots fans. Um, there's so many good examples to look at where that's just bullshit. Yeah, the... the the Butler, everything that happened with Butler after Super Bowl 52, that's the, the absolute apex of gaslighting. And it's uh, by the Boston media, the Patriots media in particular. I think this deserves to be played in honor of Malcolm Butler's return uh, to the Patriots. Three, Malcolm, go! Wilson with 33 seconds and counting. Waiting on the snap, Lynch to his left, Baldwin to the left as well. Stack receivers, two to the right. Russell Wilson extends the hands he has. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Intercepted. Intercepted by Malcolm Butler. Butler has it at the one. Malcolm Butler stepping through the throw. And the Patriots have possession with 20 seconds to go. 20 seconds to go. I don't get Scott Zolak's hyena impression aside. I don't get tired of, of, of Bob Sochi's call or even Al Michaels' call before yeah. Chris Collinsworth goes all yeah. Chris Collinsworth on that. Yo, you're not you're not a fan of that yeah. one, Mike. Yeah. I I I only my only regret is that I did not um, take advantage of uh, the late Gil Santos and just to get him to speak some words into a microphone so we could do another cut of that. Is there a national <laughs> radio no. call of that? There oh, is. You know, I actually have that Bruce Allen. Um, tweeted that out. I have Howard David's call. Excuse me, I'm, I'm conflating that with Super Bowl 36. 
Um, have you guys heard the Seahawks radio call of that? Oh, that's no. yeah, great. Uh, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Good. Lynch in the backfield. Russell looks, throws inside. Oh, my God, it's picked off at the goal line. It's picked off by God Butler. Intended for Lockett at the goal line. Oh, my word, with 20 seconds left. Oh, my word. And just juxtapose that of a Richard Sherman's reaction. Inject that into my veins. That's Steve Rabel on the Seahawks radio network. You, you just witnessed in real time a man's heartbreaking uh, on the radio. Uh, Mike, uh, it's time for your final thoughts. I, thank you for indulging me for playing truly one of my favorite radio calls of all time. Um, yeah, that I, I do, um, that, that, you know, it is the greatest play in NFL history, the highest yes. leverage play in sports history. Um, well, I, I haven't researched every, um, soccer goal ever, but uh, I'm assuming you can't score two on, on one. So it, it possibly could not be higher leverage. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, I'm happy for Butler and I hope, uh, whatever personal issues he had are, are something that he can overcome and I'd love to see him come back, uh, it would be a hell of a story. Um, but uh, yeah, both, 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 both national, the local call and, and that Michael's call are, are triggering to me and I, I can't handle it. And I'm sorry. We had to, had to have those people uh, involved in it, but you're very easily go. triggered, aren't you? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Liberal, triggers me. liberal cucks tend to be easily triggered. <laughs> yes. Speaking of liberal cucks, uh, I, I do have <laughs> one final, one final thought. The greatest tweet in Twitter history is that idiot Steve R on Twitter saying he showed his five-year-old saw and his, his five-year-old was fine with it. Didn't even bat an eye. The greatest tweet in Twitter history. Congratulations. You fucking moron. Um, on a more serious note, this is like Del Arnold here. Uh, since we were carried live on, on uh, radio free Europe to all the freedom fighters on the front lines and all the ships at sea, glory to Ukraine. Uh, there you go. Well, well said. Um, I, that wraps up the latest edition of Entitled Town. Patrick Scartelli is the purveyor of the sports drunk draw. He is at Pat Scartell on Twitter. Uh, again, he's the editor-in-chief and the15net.com. Mike on Route 1 is at Liberal Cuck. John is at, the, at that John Irons. Dan is at Patriots Daily. My name is Mike Irons. Thanks for listening to Entitled Town, everybody. And remember, vote Bedard. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team. It goes now to Worthy. Worthy oh. it goes over to Rampus, and Rampus is decked, and he wants a charge. Oh, you don't dare touch him. You don't dare. He was really decked by McHale, and he didn't like it at all. Kevin McHale with a clothesline job on Kurt Rambler. On the shot by Bird is up. It is around the rim and in. It's all tied up with 16 seconds, and the Lakers use up their last time. Back in the bird, the fall away is gone. Boston leads 125 to 123, and the Lakers call timeout with 16 seconds left. And now to seal this victory, there was ML Card. Proving once again that the Celtics were not to be denied. And there's a steal! ML Carr steals the pass on the pass pass! ML Carr steals the ball on the pass!
plays. He does not play at all, but when he does, what a contribution. And the Boston Celtics have tied the series up. They laughed at him. They laughed at him. The papers were full of derision and mockery, but they came back and they put it in everybody's face.